It's funny, when we started uh, tonight, when we were doing setup, we had a little bit of time of prayer beforehand, and everybody was saying how refreshing it is to be back. Um, and it, it is. Um, I'm thankful for this time. You see, I'm crying a little bit, a little bit emotional already. Like, Matt knows better than to play that song. That song is like the one that gets me, of course, right before I come up and speak. But I, I'm grateful to be back. College students, we're grateful that you guys are back. We had a lot of fun, uh, even though you guys were out for the holiday. I hope you guys had a Merry Christmas, a good New Year. Uh, we had a lot of fun. Uh, as a church, we had a church-wide picnic kind of gathering thing at the Staples House, which I heard was awesome. I uh, wasn't able to be a part of that, but we had a ton of fun, but we're glad you guys are back. We're glad we're able to come back in this new year and be able to just rest in his presence and rest in the Lord today. So um, if you guys want to go ahead and grab your Bibles and turn to John 15, uh, that's where we're going to be spending some time together tonight. Uh, if you don't have a Bible, snag the Bible on the table in front of you. Uh, that's our gift to you as the branch. We want you guys to be able to see this with your own eyes. We'd love for you guys to take that. That's why we have them there. Um, if you have any church background or if you don't, uh, John 15 is such a precious, such an awesome chunk of scripture that we get to spend some time in. Uh, if you have a Bible that has red letters when Jesus is speaking, it's all in red letters. This is all the word of Jesus. Um, here, here they are with his disciples in an upper room at the Last Supper, and he's encouraging his disciples literally the night before he goes to die for their sins, for my sins and for your sins. Uh, so you're, we're going to see, as we take some time and read in here a little bit, a phrase or an idea of abiding that's going to keep popping up. So when we're talking about abiding, um, what I want us to think tonight is more restful peace, trusting in Jesus, trusting in God. Uh, not just simply, we're not just talking a quiet time. Uh, that is definitely part of it, spending time in the Word. But it's this idea, uh, it's funny like what Gabe was talking about at the very beginning of shalom, of peace. That's the concept that we're talking about. So what we're going to do tonight is we're going to look at abiding, why that's important. Um, I think most of us, if we're in the body, we understand that spending time and resting in the Lord is important. But more importantly, I think what we need to look at is why we get to the point of why we don't rest in the Lord, uh, why we don't trust in Him. And when we get stuck in these ruts, when we're not resting and we're not abiding in Him, uh, we're going to look at some practical ways that we can get out of those ruts. Uh, so that's where we're going to be tonight. Um, so if you don't mind, we're going to just go ahead and dig right in. We're going to read and pray, and then we'll get things kicked off. Picking up in verse 1. This is Jesus speaking here. I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes it so that it may bear more fruit. You are already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. Abide. There's that first time we see that word. Abide in me and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine. So neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine and you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit. From apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away as a branch and dries up. And they gather them and cast them into the fire, and they are burned. If you abide in me, and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. My Father is glorified by this, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. Just as the Father has loved me, I also loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, 
just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. Jesus, we're grateful to be able to come together as your church tonight and to really be refreshed in a new year, to come together and learn from you as you learn from the Father what it means to abide in you. So Jesus, all, all this tension, all this turmoil that we may have in our hearts that's going on anywhere outside of here, questions that we have come up in our hearts, Jesus, would you help us to think rightly? Would you change the way that we think tonight and be able to enter your presence and rest, that we might truly abide in you, that we would learn to be able to see you as not something just to run to only when turmoil comes, but this idea of abiding, that we would rest in you because you want us to, and you love us. Just as the Father had loved you, you love us. So Jesus, we ask for that. We ask for your presence tonight, that we would push everything else out of the way and focus on you. It's in your name we pray. Amen. So one time when I was little, I stuck a bobby pin in an electrical outlet. Yeah, um, I was not the brightest of kids. I was so mischievous, and I guarantee you, if you were to ask my parents, I was a, I was a little punk. Like, I was so curious about how everything worked, right? Like, I wanted to know, okay, so this electrical outlet, how does this work? So my dad is an engineer. He went to Georgia Tech, and, I mean, as you guys can tell, I'm clearly not a Georgia Tech fan, big Georgia phone case. Um, but he was always around the house fixing things. He always knew how things worked, and it just intrigued me. So my parents, when I was little, bought me this little cool tool set. Did any, any of you guys in, in the room ever have any of those? You know what I'm talking about? I'm a little bit older. Okay, great. Um, so cool tools were like little miniature tools of what my dad had. So I went into their room when they weren't in there. Uh, I wanted to fix or figure out how this electrical outlet works. So I popped the little plastic cover off, and I tried to stick my cool tools in there, and it just didn't work. It wouldn't fit in there, thankfully. So still being as curious and mischievous as I was, I ran around the house till I found something that would fit in there and stuck the bobby pin electrical outlet and shocked the crap out of myself. Right? Like, I'm going to use a phrase that Gabe uses a lot with Grady. If you're going to be dumb, you got to be tough. And I'm just saying, I'm, I'm dumb, and I'm still dumb. My wife will attest to that. But, like, kids are just so, I mean, crazy when it comes to being, like, curious about everything, right? So uh, studies show that kids are so, like, I, I know this is preaching right to some of these parents' hearts. Like, kids want to ask questions about everything. Studies show that if your kids are under five years old, they ask, on average, 390 questions a day. Gabe and Marie, you have four kids. Like, I am so sorry. Like, I know some of them can't talk and ask those questions yet, but, like, I mean, imagine that. That's a question a minute, almost a question a minute. And they ask such, like, questions full of, like, wonderment and, like, I mean, okay. Here's one. Um, Mommy, if your eyes are blue, do you see everything in blue? Like, these are questions kids ask. Like, um, okay, hey, Mommy, um, you're pregnant and you're having a baby. Does that mean Daddy's having a baby too? Like, is the, is the moon really made of cheese? Like, these are the questions that kids ask. And then when we get older, it's funny, like, we, we don't ask as many questions, but we still ask questions, don't we? Like, we might not ask as many as <laughs> 390 a day, but our questions still come. And our questions tend to get a little bit more serious because they're questions that we have because we can't answer them ourselves. So we have to look outside of ourselves to answer some questions. Um, sometimes they're really difficult, heavy questions, right? Like, why do bad things happen to good people? I mean, how many of you guys have thought that in this room? I think that often. Uh, we think of questions like, 
Why, why did my grandmother get cancer? Why did, why did my parents get a divorce? Why am I still single? Why can't I have children? And these questions start to stir up in our heart that we have. And you see, questions in of themselves aren't bad things. God has given men and women wisdom and discernment to ask questions, to, to invent things, to figure out new things, so that way we can even carry out our mandate that he gave us back in Genesis to be fruitful and multiply and to have dominion over the earth. But the dangerous part begins when we, when we allow the question that we're asking God to turn into questioning God. So the danger happens most of the time when it's threats or bad things that are happening in our life. A lot of biblical scholars will call this the dark day of the soul. And some of you guys might know what I'm talking about. You've had moments in your life where a loved one's passed away, family members have divorced, you know that. And if you don't know what I'm talking about, I promise you it's coming. That's just fact. Jesus says in this world there will be trouble, but we can take heart because he has overcome. So again, the questions in and of themselves are not bad. But it's begin when we allow that question to God, become questioning him. We almost put him on trial at times. We say things, it's no longer just a question. It becomes a question mixed with an if-then statement, if you will. So it's no longer just a question, God, I'm asking you this. It becomes an if-then. We put him on trial. God, if you love me, then why are you allowing this to happen? God, if you are good, why can't I have this? And then our hearts are so deceitful, we can't trust ourselves to even ask, and we can ask these questions, but we can't trust our hearts to give the true answers. You see, as we start to distrust God, we want to trust in ourselves for these questions, for these answers, but you see that we cannot be trusted. Romans 3 says that we are wicked and sinful above all else, that none are righteous, Jeremiah tells us that the heart is deceitful above all else who can trust it. So we can't trust ourselves for these answers to these questions. And we begin to put God on trial. We even, I even use his own word against him, right? Instead of running to his word to abide, like we were talking about a little bit at the beginning, to rest in him, I use it against him. I say, God, James 2 says, you have not because you ask not, but God, I am asking. Why? God, in Philippians 4, you say that you will supply all my need in the riches of your glory in Christ Jesus. Why? Matthew 7, you say that my heavenly Father knows how to give good gifts. How much more do you know how to give good gifts? Why? And then we get to John 15 that we're going to be spending our time in today. And verse 7 is that big question. And I think this is the answer to those questions that we have. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. So this whole concept of abide is where I kind of want us to wrestle in tonight. When we have these questions that are welling up in your heart, and maybe as I'm speaking, the Holy Spirit's bringing some things to mind that maybe you don't want to think about, that maybe you tried to numb, that maybe you're like, Kyle, I didn't want to come here tonight and talk about these things that are really difficult in my heart. But if we talk about wanting true peace and true rest, it does not come through numbing and using whatever ever comforts we want in our lives to not think about these problems. True peace and true rest comes through only Christ. And he can show us how to rightly rest in him for these issues. So we're going to pick up, uh, starting in verse 1, we're just going to read a little bit, and then we're going to talk about 
uh, what this means to the disciples and what it means to us, and then we're going to just uh, pick this apart a little bit, and then practically at the end, we're going to see what this means to us. So picking up in verse 1, Jesus speaking here says, I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. So this is a big statement. It might not seem like a really big statement here, but what Jesus is doing when he's at this last supper, he's speaking to his disciples, he is confirming his deity. He is saying, I am the Messiah. I am the one that was promised. I am the one to put your hope into. I know I've been saying these things like I'm going to lay down my life for you. I'm not going to be here. I'm going to lay down my life. I'm going to die but I am that Messiah. There is reason for hope because I will come and save you from your sins. The ones that all the prophets attested about, why it's so big here, they're talking about a vine dresser, dresser and Isaiah in 5 and 17, the prophet Isaiah prophesizes that the Messiah will be like a vine dresser. So Jesus here is confirming not only to the disciples, but to us that he is who he says he is. So there is reason for hope. So as we continue here, uh, we start to see what Jesus is talking about, what it looks like when he abides in the Father. So we can see that Jesus not only asked us to abide in him, but he abided in his Father as well. It says, verse 2, Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes it so that it may bear more fruit. So when we're talking about this, root, this uh, idea of fruit, um, think of character. Think of things that the Lord builds in you. So we see Paul talk about this a little bit in Galatians. Like character, what we're talking about is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness. These are the things that the Lord's building. So Jesus is saying God himself does this to Jesus. Anything that does not bear fruit, that is not producing more fruit in him, he's taking away. There is no purpose for it. But he's saying that he prunes the things that are already bearing fruit, the things that are leading towards vitality of life, towards joy, those things that we have questions about, this is not what they're talking about. The things that we are pretty sure in, the things that the Lord is already working out in us and that people can see and that we're doing for other people, he prunes, which is a difficult process. A vine dresser will clip or cut or tear away, and it's a painful process. So this process of bearing more fruit is not easy. This, this process of becoming more like Christ is not easy. Oftentimes, difficult times, those dark nights of the soul, those trials that we feel like we're going through, is this simple pruning process. So if you're not going through something, whether it be the Lord trying to grow you to be more like him or not, I would ask that question inwardly and reflect, why am I not going through this difficult process? If Jesus promises in this world there will be trouble, if he haven't even had to come and save us, obviously things are not right here. We're broken. We're sin sick. There's got to be a way to fix this. And so Jesus came to do that. So that would be the question that I would inwardly ask myself, is why am I not going through this process? It's not easy. But there's hope here. So picking up in verse 3, Jesus says, you are already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. You are already clean. So this is confirmation to the disciples and confirmation to us. If we are in Christ, we are already clean. There's not this process of things that we want to do. We all want a checklist of five things we can do to be more Christ-like. Five things we need to do to be a Christian. He's saying, you are already clean because what I have spoken to you. What are you saying, brothers and sisters in Christ? Don't confuse rebuke with reproving. Rebuke of, of when you do things wrong, of punishment, with reproving, 
Proverbs tells us that he reproves the ones he loves. He corrects. So don't confuse. There's times in your life where you are under extreme pressure and extreme trial in your life, but he is reproving you to make you more and more and more like him. Don't, don't get caught up in believing the lies that the enemy wants you to believe that if you are a Christian, everything is going to be okay. That is simply not true. Don't believe the lie. But as we continue, so we got to see what Jesus' relationship with the Father looked like as he abided in the Father. Now we get to see some things that will creep up in our lives that'll happen if we don't abide. I think a lot of us can understand there's things that happen constantly. We, these should be red flags that pop up in our lives. When we see these things happening, we should realize, I'm not abiding. I've got to get back to resting in him. I've got to get back to dwelling in him. So let's see what, the, what some of those red flags are. Pick him up in verse four. Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, so neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine and you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him, he bears much fruit. From apart from me, you can do nothing. Stop there. So literally what he is saying is, if we are not plugged into him, we can do nothing. Absolutely nothing. The parent that you want to be, the spouse you want to be, the boyfriend you want to be, the girlfriend you want to be, the parent you want to be, the student you want to be, these hopes and dreams that you have of living up to this image that you've created for yourself, you can't do it if you're not plugged into a power source, which is the vine. You have to plug into him or you will burn out. You will burn out. So if uh, that first red flag you're seeing of, of knowing when you're not abiding is burnout. When you feel like you can't go another step, when you feel like you're in a boat tossing back and forth on the ocean and the waves are lapping up and coming over the sides and you don't feel like you can go on, abide, abide in his love. So if the first thing we feel like is that we're not abiding in him, the first thing we're going to feel is burnout. So picking up here in verse 6, if anyone does not abide in me, He's thrown away as a branch, and he dries up, and they gather them and cast them into the fire, and they are burned. So are you saying, are we going to burn up? No, like, there's some other theological purposes here that we're not going to really dive into tonight, but what I'm saying is, you, for the purpose that God has created you, you have no purpose if you're not plugged into him. You're as good as just being thrown away. That, that word dried up, some translations say wither. I've heard Matt Chandler talk on this um, that Gabe shared with our staff about being healthy in the Lord. He says this withering or drying up is a process. It, you don't start that way, right? Like I can tell you, like as a husband, I didn't start dried up in my marriage. I remember standing at the aisle and seeing my bride come down the aisle and I feel the Lord saying to me, is how you look at your bride is how I look at you because you are my bride. There's vitality in life in there. There's joy there. I didn't start dried up. There's a process of when we start to get away from abiding, from resting, from leaning on him, that we start to dry up. So that second sign of burnout is when there is no joy, when you're not feeling fulfillment. <coughs> you're not feeling fulfilled. 
So whether that be as a parent for you, you're trying to parent your child how Christ has asked you to do it, and you just don't feel like you're getting anywhere and you're spinning your wheels. If you're a student and you're at school and you feel like the Lord's called you there to where, whatever position that you're at, whatever degree you're, and you just feel like it's just running on a rat race and there is no joy in it, there is no vitality, there is no love in it, are you abiding in him for everyday comfort? I think John is such a fitting chapter to start the year in because John calls himself the disciple that Jesus loved. Literally, as Jesus is saying these words to him, John is sitting or lying down at the table, literally reclining on Jesus, as if he is physically, emotionally, and spiritually saying, I trust you, I'm resting in you, you've got me, you're not going to let me down. And that is what it looks like to abide, but we can see those red flags pop up when we don't abide. By the looks and on your faces, I know that we understand this tension. So what are some markers of what it looks like when we do abide? We'll get into that. And I think verse 7 is the, the crux of everything that we're talking about tonight in abiding. It sets our perspective right. We might have questions. We might have questions for God. God wants us to bring them to him. But this sets our perspective right. If you abide in me, you see that we we have a new if-then statement. It's no longer, if you love me, God, then. It is now a new if-then. If you abide in me, Jesus says, and then my words abide in you. Ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. This is not a prosperity gospel. If you're abiding in him, he's gonna give you all the riches. The truth of the matter is if you're abiding step by step with the Father and you are literally reclining on him and trusting him for everything, your desires will become his desires. Everything that you want for your life will fade into the background and you say, all my life is yours. I am bought with a cost. Whatever you want from me is what I want because I know you are good and I can trust you. I know you will never leave me. I know you will never let me down. I know you are a faithful high priest. I know that you came and laid down your life for me. All he's asking us to do is abide in him and let his words Yes, obviously, the time we spend with him and the time we spend in his word, this word, the same words that Jesus spoke to the disciples all the way back then, saying rest in them. They are faithful and true. Never once will he let you down. We see in part now, but one day, Paul says, we will see in full and we will see everything that he's doing and all the, the trials and all the tribulations of everything that's so tough that we don't have answers to of why cancer, why disease, why hurt, why am I alone? All these questions will be answered. But that's then. I, I love, there's a quote by Nick Saban, my wife's an Alabama fan, I gotta throw this one in there. He says, be where your feet are. Be where your feet are. One day we will know in full, but now all we see is what's in front of us. Gabe prayed this prayer before we started tonight that, <laughs> that we would be able to trust you for the next step, that we trust God for the next step. And that's what the Christian life looks like abiding, is you don't see the next step, but you're trusting for the next step. God, you've got me. God, you've got me. You never let me down. You won't let me down. And then surrounding yourself with a body of believers like this, where we can come in when things are difficult, and we have men and women in Christ that can love on us. Through some really difficult times in my wife and I's life, I felt the love of countless people in this room and I'm abiding in them and trusting in the Father. 
So what does it look like, some of those markers, what it looks like to abide in him? What does it look like, some things popping up in our life when we're abiding in him? So we're going to read verses 8 through 10 here, and we're going to pull out a couple little things. My Father is glorified by this, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. Just as the Father has loved me, I have also loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. We have to be careful right here that we don't slip into something we talk about. I give it here, something called legalism, that if you are abiding in his love, it's because you are doing these things, these lists of do's and don'ts and commandments. Let's be very careful to realize what Jesus is saying here. He's saying, if you are abiding in me, your desires become my desires, and it's a natural overflow that you do what I'm asking you to do. It's natural. It just happens. We're talking about a vine here, a tree producing fruit. It doesn't have to strain to produce fruit. It just naturally does it. So he's saying, if you love me, you're naturally going to do what I'm asking you to do. What's he asking us to do? Love him and love other people, to rest in him. So as we're looking in that, when we are abiding in the Father, our perspective turns outward. We might be going through the dark day of the soul and some difficult things happen. I'm not taking away from that. But when we are truly abiding in the Father, we have the perspective like Paul says in Philippians. He says, even though I'm being poured out as a drink offering on the testimony of your faith, he's saying, even if I'm dying, so that way you guys might know Christ, rejoice with me. That is the concept that even though we can be going through so many difficult things, our focus then turns outward because we become more like Christ. We become that sympathetic high priest. If you've gone through something difficult like divorce or, or I mean, anything from loneliness to addiction to death, you, you're no longer just sympathetic if someone's going through it. You become empathetic. You can walk through that storm with them. So it might seem like a trial that the Lord has put you through, but what he is doing is equipping you to minister to others better. He's equipping you to fulfill what you say that you want to do, be a follower of Christ. In, in Philippians 2, that mindset of Christ is to take on the mindset of a servant. and to, Like he came in the likeness of men. And even though he was found in appearance as man, he did not hold it as a high acclaim. He humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death for others, even death on a cross. So when we are abiding in the Father, it's no longer a pity party. Yeah, it, it might be tough and it might be difficult, but our hope is in the veil. Because you see, in verse 11, wraps this up a little bit for us, this whole concept of abiding. It says, These things I have spoken to you so that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be made full. He doesn't say, I've spoken these things to you so that way you don't have any more questions. He even said, I've spoken these things to you so that way you have all of the things that you want. He is gracious enough not to always give us the things that we want because they are not what we need. But he is giving us these things for joy so that way he may be glorified. He gets more glory out of us humbling on ourselves and saying, God, I trust you. God, you are worthy to be trusted. God, who do you want me to love on? God, who is going through something difficult that I can love on? So we talk about this idea of, of, we talked about a little bit at the beginning about questions and how it's not necessarily the questions, but if we're questioning God and putting him on trial, if we have fears and doubts, this whole idea of abiding in him, 
um, what it looks like to rest in him. There's a video that I want us to play and kind of look at um, for a man who I think truly gets the idea of abiding and resting. Um, you'll see, if you pay attention, he'll, it's a spoken word that he uses a bunch of different Bible verses in, and there's no way that you have this much confidence and this much clarity of the scripture unless you're abiding in the Father. So let's take a look at this if we would. I remember my little niece ran up to me and told me, we learned about Jesus today. And I could tell by her smile she was so excited to learn about this man that she did not quite know yet, but she knew without a doubt for it to be true because after all, mommy said so. And that was the first time in my life that I looked into the eyes of a child and envied them because she had no idea of what it feels like to doubt. What it feels like to have your entire belief system overload with skepticism. To never know the day that you would finally be able to live beyond the shadow of a doubt. I've lived in its darkness for so long. It, it seems like I have all the right questions, but never enough answers. And my faith is small enough to fit in the cracks of my palms, God. Every night I lay my head down to sleep, the city of my mind is attacked by a legion of questions threatening the living rooms of my sanity and holding them hostage. Can you help me? Last year, my grandmother laid in a hospital bed like a bus stop waiting for God to come pick her up. I had never seen such pain and such confidence living in the same eyes when she told me, I don't know what I'm gonna do, but I know who I belong to, and I was so happy for her. And something inside of me wished that somehow before she passed away, she could pass down her confidence in God to me like an old family picture. I remember sitting in the back row of a cold sanctuary, crying because I desperately wanted what the preacher was saying to be true, but my doubts were preaching a sermon of their own and the streams of my tears turned into oceans of frustration. I remember sitting in a college classroom and the only thing being tested is my faith in God. The only thing passing is my hope. Me in a backpack full of fear and nowhere to go. No one to help me unpack. I sleep. I sleep, but I never rest. These lines around my eyes are not wrinkles. They are maps that show you the winding roads that lead to my pain. I'm tired. I'm tired. And I'm longing for the day that I can place my fingers in his nail-pierced hands because honestly, I've considered quitting, but where will I go? Back? There's no home for the living in the land of the dead, so I keep pressing forward. Today I have faith, but I can't make any promises about tomorrow. I'm surprised I've held on this long. God, just make me feel like I'm not crazy. God, let me know that I'm not just making friends with these walls. When I pray, I'm not questioning you. I just got questions. Don't leave me here. 
don't, don't leave me. My child. My child. When it seems like you have all the right questions, but never enough answers, and your faith is small enough to fit in the cracks of your palms, I told you. Faith the size of mustard seeds can rearrange whole landscapes and turn mountains into open highways. Faith comes by my word, so maybe you've cuffed your ears. My child, don't be childish. But consider the child whose faith has not quite learned the definition of impossible. Have your questions. I'm not telling you to have a blind faith. I'm telling you to consider the blind men who had faith and believed my words before they were even able to see me. Consider the birds that eat from my hand and do not fall from the sky without my consent. So how much more will I love the ones that I died for? Before you doubt me, doubt your doubts. Doubt your doubts, and you will see they are just as empty as the tomb that I walked from. <laughs> truth is, truth is, you know I'm here. You know my truth, and you're scared. Scared of what that means. Scared of what that should cost you. That one day, they will all laugh at you, laugh you right out of their classrooms, and scorn you out of their courtrooms. But my love serves as an eviction notice to anxiety. When they cast stones, my love casts out fear. I am the author and finisher of your fate. I've never started a work that I will not finish. I am the one. I am the one who will give you courage to stare death in the face and say, how dare you try to scare me? I know who I belong to. And when it feels like you are drowning, when it feels like you are drowning in a sea of your questions, just know I'm there. I'm there. Like when I drowned in the Red Sea of my blood for you and these hands that took holes will hold you and when I told you that I would love you forever, I meant it. Don't you see these rings in my hands? See, we are married. For better or for worse. Through sickness and in health, through faith and through questions, till death brings us closer, you are mine. You are mine, and I am yours, I promise. The first time I watched that, uh, I bawled like a baby. Um, I did today, too, so um, I'm a little bit more emotional. Uh, so um, I think that guy has got it, what it means to abide and rest in the Father. Um, so you might be asking, okay, so there's a bunch of emotionally charged. You can tell that, Kyle, that this is something that's weighing on you. So what do I do with all of this that you've just laid on my lap? Um, I'm glad you asked. That's a good question. Um, so if you have a pen, if you want to jot down some really practical things that we can do to identify when our questions are turning to questioning God. Um, so the first thing 
that we can do when our, 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 that's really practical when our questions are turning to questioning God. Um, this, what we just talked about is abide. It's the most important thing that we can do. Um, obviously, I mean, abiding in him, you get some of those questions answered and some you won't have answered. Um, but there was one line that he talked about that comes from uh, Romans ten seventeen. He says, faith comes by hearing. He said, you have, cu- have you cuffed your ear? Don't be childish. So faith comes by hearing and that of the word of God is what Romans says. That is going to bring about more faith in God. That those questions either don't need to be answered now or that it'll be okay if they are never answered. Abide. Um, I, I didn't want this to be the whole talk. Honestly, I had a whole different way where I was going with this until yesterday. I was at work. I work at Restoration Hardware. Um, and I was just uh, it was a wreck. It was horrible. I was having an existential crisis. Like, it was bad. Um, and then I see, how many of you guys know Jim Perkins that works at Chick-fil-A, either here in Delano? Like, the really nice guy who's super always excited. Do you know what I'm talking about? Like, he was in there, and it's just like, I didn't even think. I just started walking towards him, and I was just like, I'm... I'm so glad you're here. I don't know why. Like, I'm so, you're always so encouraging. I just needed an encouraging word, I felt like, at the time. And I said, how do you stay so positive when things seem the darkest? And he gave me a lot of good practical advice of, like, praying for others as he's going into work. But what he said it comes down to is abiding in the Father, abiding in him. And that just set off a fire in my heart for what I feel like the Lord wanted to, to share with us tonight. Uh, so the first one there, when our questions are turning into questioning God, uh, the first thing we do is abide. The second practical thing that we need to do, uh, mentioned it in the video, is doubt your doubts. Is doubt your doubts. So there's always going to be something that's coming up into your heart um, that's telling you to not trust God. Um, but the truth of the matter is that He is good and He's worthy to be trusted. Uh, Matt Chandler, he's a pastor in uh, Texas, has a really good sermon on this about when we're doubting God. He has this really cool illustration about how kids, I don't know if your parents did it for you, uh, or if parents, if you do this for your kids now, where you hold them up in the air, and you throw them in the air, and you catch them, and you throw them in the air, and you catch them, and their faces all lit up and smilingly love it. Well, you don't see that child's face turn to fear. Well, why not? Because they believe that the father is capable of throwing them and catching them, and that he is good, that he won't throw them up and let them fall. And the same thing for our Father is we believe that he is capable of catching us, and he is good, and he will catch us. He will never let us fall. So doubt your doubt. When that lie starts to creep in, doubt your doubt. So the first thing to do is abide, rest in him. Second thing that we can do practically is doubt the doubt. The final thing that what we can do is find the root. Um, I had a really difficult conversation um, just trying to weigh out things in my own heart. Uh, Matthew, uh, such a wise dude, uh, our worship leader, um, he helped me try to get to the core of this. I'm thankful for a friend like him that will hold me accountable when I'm not in line with the gospel and tell me the truth in love. It might not be something I want to hear, but when we talked about at the beginning about questioning God and putting him on trial, ultimately what we are doing is saying that we would make a better God than God. We wouldn't I I wouldn't say theologically believe that, but practically in our own heart, when we continue to question God and his goodness, we are saying that we would make a better God than him. And Matt called that out in me. So the the first thing that uh, we see when we're finding the root is is pride there. Um, So I had a bit of pride in my heart to think that I could make a better decision for my life than God could. Uh, D.A. Carson would call this the degotting of God. He's saying the degotting of God is the root of all sin. So if you have a root for you, it might be pride, um, which is 
a logical reason. Uh, if that's not for you, it might be fear, like it oftentimes is for me, like it was for Joe in the video. You see that fear is something that creeps up, that sometimes is illogical. So uh, Scott Getz is a local pastor in the area. I met with him one time. I was dealing with a lot of anxiety and fear in my heart uh, about wanting to church plant. Um, and he had a quote, and it said, I was afraid. When, or he said, fear knocked at my door, and I was afraid. But when I answered, no one was there. So that kind of just resonated with me. Sometimes our fears are in our own mind. That sometimes they're not really there. They're, we make a bigger picture out of it than it really needs to be. But other times those fears are completely rational. Um, another thing of what we talk about fear, um, there's a, a pastor, um, he, he wrote a book called, uh, there's Craig Rochelle. Um, if you need a real reset in your spiritual walk, I would really recommend reading Soul Detox. He talks a lot about this idea of fear, how we can tell if we're questioning God. Um, it has a lot to do with fear being at that root. He says, the things that we fear the most show the things that we care about the most, right? So I had this fear in my heart of whether I need to be church planning. You know, I knew I need to be in ministry, but I have, it's something I desperately care about. So the things that we fear the most is the things we care about the most. But also what that teaches us is the, fears, the things that we fear the most are the places we trust God the least. So if you're feeling this fear in your heart and it's something that seems like it's taking a hold of you, that's probably another area where you need to be trusting the Father in. So all of this practically, for all these questions that we have, it might not erase questions for you. But the truth of tonight is that we have a faithful high priest. Just as we read here in verse 1, chapter 15 of John, he's saying that he is the Messiah. The truth of the matter is that we have hope when it seems all is hopeless. And because of what he did for us on the cross, we can trust him. He did not have to lay down his life for us, but he willingly chose to pour out his blood for us, and his body was broken for us. So tonight, as the branch, as a church, as the body of believers, we get to celebrate this truth in communion. So as we get to dip that bread into the wine and remember, just as the disciples were sitting there and Jesus illustrates to them as they take communion at the Last Supper, we get to enjoy in this good gift from the Father. Um, so if you still have questions and doubts, um, just take some time to meditate and think on those. Um, get up and take communion when, uh, whenever you feel like the Lord is telling you to do that. If you would just maybe form a little bit of lines on the outside here so that way the people on the center here can still be reflective and, and prayerful. Uh, if you have, still have questions as to who Jesus is and what this really means for me and you haven't become a member of the body, we just ask that you would allow us to celebrate this together um, and that you would come and find, whether it be me or Gabe or Matt or Ricky, someone afterwards, and we can explain what this good news of the gospel means, that we can have hope. So let's pray together and worship together. So Jesus, we're so grateful that you love us. We're grateful that we can abide in you that you are the good shepherd, that you are a faithful high priest, that when the fear is creeping up in the hallways of our heart, we don't have to be afraid because we can trust you. Even when things seem at their darkest and even when we seem like we have no hope, you're our anchor behind the veil 
you are good and you are able. We know when we abide in you that it doesn't always make things better. But we have someone to go to who cares. We have a sympathetic ear of someone who's longing to say to us, talk to me, son, talk to me, my daughter. We believe your promises in Psalms when you say that our tears are more precious to you than oils, that you keep them in your jar. Father, we are broken and we know that. And we know that you ask us to walk into this brokenness and be honest and open with it because that's the only way that you can use us. If we don't say that we're broken and acknowledge the truth, then we're calling you a liar and we are negating the good news of the gospel that you love us. So thank you for coming for us. Thank you for willingly choosing to pour out your life for us that we may have life. Even though when we least deserve it, you give it to us grace upon grace upon grace. And we know now that we can leave this room not feeling heavy or defeated, but we can leave feeling rejuvenated because we believe that there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, that we were broken and we are made perfect in you. So, Father, we love you and we thank you for this time. It's in your name we pray. Amen. If you'll stand with us in worship.